Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? It's going fine. We got some winter, well not winter weather, fall weather, finally, yes. here in Nashville this week. But wow, has it been a slow week in Baptist news. It has. Uh, sometimes that's that's not always a bad thing, particularly when we have a really busy week like executive committee meeting or trustee meetings, things going on. Uh, every now and then we need a slow one. Yeah, and that was this week as uh, yes. will be evidenced by uh, a, a shorter than normal podcast. But there is one big piece of news that we can talk a lot about today. Uh, yes. And we will uh, about that. But uh, before we get to that, we want to thank our sponsor, Designed to Lead, the new book from authors Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck explains how churches that consistently produce leaders have a strong conviction to develop leaders, a healthy culture for leadership development, and helpful constructs to systematically and intentionally build leaders. All three are essential for leaders to be formed through the ministry of a local church. To pick up your copy and to get free resources related to the book, visit designedtolead.com. I've got one book left to give away to the first uh, SBC This Week listener who tweets us at SBC This Week and asks for the book. So uh, it's going pretty good. We've, we've given away some books this week. Or this All month. right. So I know, I know we've got a, we're going to highlight a book later in the show that's going to be sponsoring us next month. So yes. uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, on to the news, Amy, and uh, some, some interesting research. This week, uh, that's that's one way to put it. Disturbing is another way to put it. Uh, from Lifeway Research about American theological views. So there's about seven or eight different points in here that we're going to go through and, and talk about. But uh, Amy, just as an as an overview, were you surprised by this? Were you disheartened by this? Yes. <laughs> yes to both. Yes to both. Um, probably wasn't a huge surprise. So when you have the the spectrum and you say strongly agree, somewhat agree, moderate, you know, it's a probably Likert a scale. it's probably a somewhat surprise. Somewhat surprise. I was surprised at the, the how big. I mean, I didn't doubt that these were the yeah, case. It was a lot the of numbers. Them. It was the how big some of the numbers were and we'll get to some of those later. Yeah, it was how big some of the numbers were and then um as we talked about the when you started to break down folks who would correspond with evangelical beliefs, some of the things that they that they had to say, certainly at a different percentage than Americans as a whole, but still higher than I was comfortable. Yes, much higher. Yeah. Uh, especially one of them we'll, we'll talk about kind of down in the story. So there's a link yeah. to the full research. You can find that at sbcthisweek.com. But this is Lifeway Research. Uh, this was a phone survey of a thousand Americans, and it it was forty seven questions. So, I mean, this is like a a serious big question, yeah. big survey, and these are of Americans, but it's also broken down into theological um, viewpoints as well later on. So, uh, first off, question on the Bible: Do you agree that God is the author of Scripture? Only fifty eight percent of Americans agreed with that. Yeah. And here's the thing. I mean, in some in some surveys, fifty eight percent seems really high. It's just amazing to step back and think. I, you just would assume everyone sees that, that everyone gets that. You just would want to see eighty, ninety percent, fifty eight percent feels low from our perspective. It does. It does. And it kind of related to this. There's some uh, some things about accuracy in the Bible. Uh, biblical accounts of Jesus' resurrection are true. Sixty four percent agree. The Bible is 100% accurate, only 47% agreed. And the Bible is helpful, but not literally true. 44% of people said that. So, I mean, just some 
really high numbers on those last two. And and that one, the 44% about the Bible is helpful, but not literally true. That one didn't completely surprise me, maybe just because of a lot of the mainstream books and conversation that uh, has, has happened over the last several years. You just know that there is a lot of discussion saying that it is not literally true. Um, but so, so that number probably doesn't surprise me um, as a whole. It does dishearten me, though. Yes. The number related to the Bible that probably disheartened me the most was the question, the, the Bible was written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. 51% of people agreed 51%, with that. 51%, yeah. And 9% were not sure. So only 40% disagreed with the statement that the Bible was written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. Yeah. So... You know, this it's it, it it's very telling. It demonstrates something about where we are, just as an American culture. Yeah. Moving on to uh, some more religious questions here. Uh, Two thirds of American, that's sixty four percent, say that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And twelve percent, not sure. Yeah. So, so you're down to basically like three fourths. Yeah. Yeah, three fourths of the people um, are not willing to disagree with that. Here, here's something interesting in that is it said that, you know, in saying God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, it's very easy for, for us to say, well, you know, times have really changed and it didn't used to be that way. The next observation is when you break it down by age, 62% of 18 to 34 year olds say that God accepts the worship of all religions. 67% of 50 and older. So this didn't break down yeah. on generational gap. It's well, pretty widespread. And you would have expected the evangelical viewpoint to be drastically different than this number, but 48% of evangelicals believe that Christians, Jews, and Muslims worship the same God. Yeah, now let's let's give kind of a, a an explanation here, and you have to go into the research to to sort of understand this, but... It could be very easy for us to say, well, that's, you know, no one knows what evangelical means. So they used four questions to determine based on what a definition of an evangelical is. And then everybody who fit in that category, then the way they answered it was pulled out to determine this. Yes. And the four questions they have to do with the sufficiency of Scripture, Jesus as the only way uh, to God, you know, those core evangelical beliefs. Uh, right. You know, and so... Uh, anyway, moving back into this, uh, some of the other numbers, and, and this is one that uh, didn't quite jive with me. It was God answers specific prayers. 66% of people said yes. Okay. So God answers specific prayers. Then 59 or 60% of people said God knows everything but does not determine all that happens in the world. Yeah, I can't figure out how that comes together. How do you say God doesn't determine what happens in the world but that he answers specific prayers? That I, I don't Those know. two couldn't. I couldn't pull that together. And then moving on to the afterlife, uh, many evangelical believers said that everybody goes to heaven, which I, I just couldn't really, I'm like, where does the, the universalism here come from? So 64% of those with evangelical beliefs say that heaven is a place where all people will ultimately be reunited with their loved ones. Yeah, I don't even know where. Which is even higher than what the general American public thinks. It makes me wonder if anybody, if people misunderstood the phrase "all people." I, I don't, I'm not yeah, sure. What is the definition of all? I guess. Yeah, I don't know. That one, that one probably was one of the most uh, disheartening. When we talked yeah. about, 
Uh, but yeah, so 64% of people think that everyone, or 64% of evangelicals think that everyone uh, goes to heaven. Uh, only 40% of people thought that, and this is all Americans, that hell is an eternal place of judgment where God sends all people who do not personally trust in Christ. Uh, and then again, 52% of all Americans thought that uh, by the good deeds that they do, they partly contribute to earning their place in heaven. Yeah, and and here's the thing. I think we all can recognize that there's something in us that will often fall into the trap of feeling that we're earning Mm -hmm. our salvation, whether it's anxiety about if we've done enough or if it's kind of feeling some sense, if I just do right, this will happen. Um, The tough part comes when a question is actually asked, a, a, an actual question that we tend to think we have explained the grace of the gospel, um, clearly, but the the trap just kind of continues here to where when you're actually asked, you say, no, yeah, I think, I think maybe some of the things I do are what, what contribute. Well, um, I mean, it shows the, ver- kind of a surprise. It shows the validity of the, the classic, uh, you know, evangelism question. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you go to heaven? And then the, the typical response of those that, that aren't saved or that, that don't have a faith in Christ is, yeah, I do good things. And, you know, it, it, kind of goes back to the validity of that that classic evangelism question. Yes, and then that, you know, that starts to connect with with the questions that came across on sin. 65% of Americans said everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Um, that they they agree with that. Well, and tied to that, Amy, there's a question that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Seventy-four percent of people felt like, oh no, it's okay. Small sins are all right. Right, and and on that, when you go into the research itself, that statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Um, Americans with evangelical beliefs are less likely to agree, but their number is still really high, fifty-four percent. So it's still over fifty percent that everyone sins a little, most people are good by nature. So you can actually kind of see the thread between some of these questions that if, you know, if people believe this, then they're going to also think this and it's kind of like a house of cards. Uh, But it's very telling to us about just how much is really, is really connecting. It's very difficult for me because I'm living in a place where theology is talked about all the time because people like to talk about it here. And I'm married to someone who teaches theology, so when you say, how was your day, sometimes these are conversations <laughs> that come up, so you forget how much uh, everyone else is not necessarily reflecting on these things all the time. Yeah, and I mean, the last month when I was there uh, and had dinner with you and Keith, the the book that was laying out on the coffee table was, Do Christians Worship the Same God as Jews and Muslims? I mean, that was... right. That was the, the book that was sitting on the coffee table that Keith right. was writing through. And we had a discussion about that. So, um, right. It was... and, and, and we're having, I mean, our kids are seeing books and they're asking questions and we're talking through different things with our kids and because this is part of our life. Um, and so you step back and, and realize that it isn't, you know, not, everyone is not reflecting on these things all the time. And we have a responsibility uh, with our church members or with the the people that we are discipling or, you know, uh, whatever that we're connecting with, that we're really clear about uh, the truths about God. Yeah. And and speaking of these sin issues, it, it breaks down and, and asks questions if, you know, this is a sin. Sex outside of a marriage, 49% said it was. 
abortion, 49%. Homosexuality, 44% agreed that that is a sinful. Uh, one of the, the breakouts of, of those uh, was the breakout for um, sex outside of marriage. Women, 53% are more likely than men, 45%, to say that sex outside of marriage is a sin. So I, I thought that was a, an a, a interesting gender dynamic there. Yes. I'm not sure I have all my thoughts together about why that is. Yeah. Well, and, and this too, it's it's surprising that in, in that question, sex outside of a marriage is it a sin, education factored into whether or not people thought it was a sin. People who were less educated were more likely to agree that it was a sin than those who were higher educated. So the, the higher educated people were more lenient with sex outside of marriage than those who are, are less educated because high school grads or less said 56% of them said sex outside of marriage is a sin. Those with advanced degrees, graduate degrees, 40%. And right. those with bachelors, 44%. So there's a huge swing in education and your view of sex outside of marriage, which I right. thought was fascinating. Yeah, that one broke down on a lot of lines, socioeconomic levels, house, higher, hold, higher household incomes, uh, $100,000 or more are the most likely to disagree uh, with that. So uh, that that one broke on a lot of demographic lines yeah, so, that were uh, interesting. I, I did not expect such a tie to socioeconomic status and education for adultery. Like, right. It just is it, it really surprising there. And then a couple of the numbers that, uh, one number that I was really encouraged by, Americans with evangelical beliefs, uh, the, the evangelical specific numbers, 87% said abortion is a sin. Right. Right. That's good. Right. Then you turn to gender identity, 32% of evangelicals believe that gender identity is a choice. I, and I, that blew my mind. Yeah. And here's what's interesting is that that, you know, that number normally in, in studies, that sounds low uh, a lot of times. And in this, they're less likely to agree. 40% of Americans believe that gender identity is a matter of choice. But it's still um, way high. But it feel, it's, it's a third. It's high. Yeah, it still feels really high. Yeah. And it demonstrates, I mean, it, to me, it demonstrates the power of culture and messaging, how that has really permeated our thinking. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, those are just some of the numbers in this. I mean, there's a lot more. We only hit a, a handful of the numbers from this study at LifeWay Research conducted. Uh, and just thanks to them. I mean, this is a very, very thorough study. And uh, so you can find out all the information about this. And they even have some comparisons to previous versions of this survey. Right. So we, I encourage you to go and check out the full study. We, we only hit some of the high points, the things that right. just jumped out. But And there's a ton. So when they do these, you know, they, they write stories, have releases. Bob Smetana does a great job of working with Scott McConnell to kind of distill down exactly what this is saying. But when you go to the bottom of the release from LifeWay Research, uh, you can actually get to a report of the entire thing. Uh, then, then this time they also have a white paper to go with it as well. And there's a website uh, that has been developed as well for uh, state of state of theology. And it gives you a lot of ways to look at this data and just to kind of take it all in. Yep. So be sure to check that out. I mean, like we said, we, we only covered some of these. There's a lot more to this, uh, you know, 47 questions. So there's quite a few uh, data points in there. Yes. Uh, and Amy, a, a story coming out of Southeastern this past week about the recent Go Engage. It was kind of a, a collaborative effort involving your Center for Great Commission Studies, the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, and No Place Left, uh, an evangelism right. movement in the RDU area. 
So uh, tell us a little about this. I know Dr. Aiken, he kind of mentioned this, and we even tweeted about it from the executive committee meeting last week. But uh, tell us a little bit more about this. Right. So it was a it was a training that happened on the campus uh, and several uh, churches were part of it, everything to to train people in um, in evangelism. So it's very practical evangelism training, but then actually took them out practically and they went all over the place, went to uh, over 300 homes in the area. Um, engaged uh, over two dozen ethnicities, shared the gospel in every encounter. Uh, they're aware of eight people who put their faith in Christ. Uh, over half of them, or around half of them almost, uh, gave their contact information to ask people to share more. Uh, so George Robinson, one of our professors here, he coordinated it. And uh, the one kind of unique piece of this, which is in uh, the release, the story, was that uh the professors actually attended it as learners. They weren't the teachers. And some of the trainers or even graduates that we had who had sat under our professors, but our professors really wanted to demonstrate. We, we have this uh, circular sort of learning from one another and we can, uh, even though they've been teaching evangelism and missions for years and years, uh, in some cases, decades, they said we can learn for the rest of our lives. There could be new things that could open our eyes. Uh, but it was a very unique setup that it wasn't just a conference come in and take a lot of notes. It was, we're going to do practical training and then we're going to go out and do it. Well, thanks for that. That's encouraging. And uh, I know Dr. Aiken was very proud of that and mentioned that uh, as such in his address to the executive committee just last week. So, uh, you know, encouraging to see uh, Southeastern, not the only seminary out there doing uh, evangelism and training their students in evangelism. All six of our seminaries doing a great job with that. All right, moving on to something uh, that was close to home for you, Amy, now something close to home for me, um, but something I'm not training in just to make sure uh, Nashville has lightened up on its marijuana penalties. Um, yes, I saw this very interesting. Yeah. So I, I had heard about this and this is one of those things that it just kind of happened a couple of weeks ago and, and even living here, I didn't know about it until it was you know about to, to be voted on and everything, but Nashville joined a list of more than 30 major cities in the U S to decriminalize marijuana to some extent. So, Instead of a misdemeanor offense and a a heavy fine, law enforcement officials have an option whether to charge somebody with a civil offense that would be a $50 fine and 10 hours of community service uh, for knowingly possessing a half ounce of marijuana or less. So I'm not sure how much a half ounce of marijuana is. Yeah. Um, But apparently if you just have a little bit of marijuana, now it's just a $50 fine and 10 hours of community service instead of an automatic misdemeanor like it has been in the past. So basically, instead of it being a major drug arrest, it's a ticket. Yes. It's almost like a, a, a parking ticket, which follows a pattern set by, like we mentioned, several other cities, a couple dozen or more in the U.S., Chicago, Miami, New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Orlando, Tampa, others. And also, I, I didn't realize this, 21 states, you know, statewide, has decriminalized marijuana, and, uh, plus the District of Columbia, and, and, you know, we know it's legal in four states in the U.S., and right. it's actually on the ballot in five more states this November uh, to be uh, decriminalized and, and legalized. I mean, not just decriminalized, but legalized right. in five more states. Yeah, it's, it's kind of moving in that direction. And, you know, there are always a lot of arguments that are put toward the decriminalization um, about, you know, that they're typically not violent offenders and, and uh, that prison crowding and things like that. Uh, but obviously, this is 
you know, this is just kind of a disturbing move. It's a slide that, that we see. Um, the Baptist Press article kind of addresses that, some of the disappointment uh, by uh, the state exec there in uh, in Tennessee, Randy Davis. Uh, there's some quotes from Dr. Moeller about the concerns. Yeah, I thought Dr. Uh, Moeller's quote was, uh, was spot on because, he, you know, it's kind of tied to, right. and it's tracking the same kind of arc at what we've seen as homosexuality, same-sex marriage, and this is just kind of following that same kind of pattern. Right, uh, a, a trend. Now, it does say that it remains a Class One federal felony. So I, I do want to bring that up, that this is kind of a thing where the states and the federal government are breaking. Um, and I don't know how that all plays out, just to be yeah, I have no idea. And it may yeah. be just one of these where if you're trafficking it across state lines or if you have a certain amount, then it becomes I just don't know federal enough. felony. Um, it, and it doesn't really go into that here in the article. So uh, just something to, to watch. And there are other states. And, and that'll be something. You know, we, we talk a lot about this November ballot and it's the, the presidential election gets a lot of the, the, the press. But, I mean, there's going to be marijuana measures. There's going to be. Uh, probably some abortion uh, restriction measures. There's going to be local and state and even congressional level elections going on in November. So it's not just that presidential election that uh, that people need to show up and vote for. It's the rest it's of everything. the ticket uh, you know, right. that goes on too. So Yes. All right, and that's going to do it pretty much for our news this week. Like we said, a light news week. Next week, I know some news that will be coming um, this Friday is or today. Today, the day that this releases, is the end of the fiscal year. So at the end of business today, the close of business today, across the street at the executive committee, we will end our CP receiving for the fiscal year. And next week, they should report on where we ended for cooperative program. We know it's going to be above because uh, last Monday, they actually reached the budget level. So everything from then on was lanyap. And so we'll have a report next week. I know that'll be the lead story of what our CP increase will be for uh, the fiscal year ending this week. Well, we're looking forward to uh, to hearing that. It's nice to know that we're going to have some news next week that is good news. Um, so looking forward to it. Yep. All right. And that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. Let's take it back to 1975 to an article in Baptist Press that was released on September 30th. And the headline is, Southern Baptists Challenged to Provide Refugee Sponsors. So this was uh, something that was coming out from the Home Mission Board, which we now know as the North American Mission Board. There was, um, they had Immigration and Refugee Service. And uh, at this point, obviously this is right in the middle of um, uh, the, the conflict in Vietnam, or I guess kind of at the tail end of that. Uh, but there were a ton of Vietnamese refugees. Um, so at that point, through September 26th, uh, Southern Baptists who were working through the Home Mission Board had resettled 1,896 uh, refugees, and um, they were working through Church World Service. Church World Service had resettled like over 10,000. They had done that almost 2,000 uh, with, um, with Southern Baptists. Um, at this point, they also uh, they also announced that the federal government had resettled about 128,000 Vietnamese 
refugees. So there was this whole, you know, there's lots of statistics in there about all the different refugee camps that they were coming uh, through Guam, that uh, where all they had been resettled, um, that they were in these different camps. But it was a call for help to Southern Baptists. We had coordinators, we had uh, uh, people in place uh, to help with the settlement of these refugees coming in. And I I just thought it was interesting because sometimes um, we can find ourselves in the middle of something and and we we just can't imagine um, how how some of these discussions can happen. Right now we're in the middle of a really kind of a, a, a debate in, in some ways in the broader culture about how much we should be doing. Uh, but we do have a lot of Southern Baptists who are calling out for our churches uh, to reach the refugees who are coming in uh, to help them. And here uh, in, in Wake Forest and actually on one of the local radio shows, we had some some students that were on there talking about some of the work that they had done with a family, helping them get settled, um, some Syrian refugees uh, last year at LifeWay's um, Women's Leadership Forum. They were doing work, bringing bringing coats for uh, Syrian refugees, and uh, the you know so we have a tendency to be right in the present, in the middle. But it's not the first time. Um, it it was happening just this week in SBC history, and so here we are again. This is an important discussion, and we need to be willing to show up for it every time. Yeah, and kind of a, a tagging onto this, I, I met last night, and I didn't realize they moved actually moved into my neighborhood. I uh, met last night. We have an ESL program at our church. Uh, most ESL programs, a lot of times, they they focus on you know Hispanic or Spanish speaking uh, languages into English. Well, we we've actually got quite a few Arab speaking and now refugees that come to our church and are going through the ESL pro- process. And one of them actually just moved into my neighborhood right around the corner from me. I didn't realize it until last night. We kind of were able to connect and. And talk to one another, but they are Coptic Christians from Egypt. Yeah, that are fleeing ISIS in Egypt. We we had the story about six months ago about the the slaughtering of Coptic Christians in Egypt by ISIS. They were actually in that area and got out before that, and were able to get out of Egypt, immigrated to the U.S. Uh, through refugee status, and have settled here in Tennessee, and actually in my neighborhood right around the corner from me. But Coptic Christians, and they're, and they're coming to my church on Wednesday mm-hmm. nights to learn English as a second language. He's a, like a computer programmer or something, and uh, they've got two kids, real nice family, uh, but new to the U.S. and just trying to figure things out here in the States. That's great. Uh, well, I'll tell a quick story on myself that is uh, has is not as exciting as yours, um, that last year when I went to the Women's Leadership Forum— they had sent out an email to all the people who were attending, asking them to uh, to bring coats, and they had done some social media and stuff. Well, I was really busy. They were going to take coats that they were going to um, have for refugees. The International Mission Board was doing this collection, so you're supposed to, you know, buy a coat and bring it and put it in this big um, box that they would take uh, to help with the resettlement efforts. Well, I have to confess, I was very busy with work and the kids and all kinds of things. And I wasn't paying attention to all the messaging that was going out, which is really embarrassing since I'm someone who wants people to pay attention to the messaging going out. Isn't that kind of your job? Yes. So I'm sitting in there and I don't know who, Chris Adams, someone, they're standing up on stage and it was cold. We were in Long Hala. The room was cold. Um, I had brought a coat to wear and they stand up and they say, 
Um, so how many people in here brought a coat? And I raised my hand along with everybody else because I thought that it was about like if you're cold and then they begin to tell how you should turn in your coats for the refugees that you brought and you should leave the tag and the receipt and all this stuff. And I just basically slunk down into the pew realizing that I had not brought a coat that day uh, to for the refugees. So this is my confession <laughs> right <laughs> That's here. That's amazing. That is amazing. Oh, yes. wow. Wow. So pay attention yes. to the good that you can do when yes. you're going to an event. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. All right. Well, that's that's a fascinating. It's it's kind of neat how we see these patterns. And yes. when we start looking back on SBC history, we're dealing with similar issues, uh, you know, decades later, but yeah. the same yeah. kind of and, thing. Yeah, and what a great example that, you know, Southern Baptists had resettled at this point 1,896 refugees. Yeah. That's great. So it's fantastic news. So uh, great story there, Amy. Thanks for that. And uh, we want to remind you about our sponsor this week, Design to Lead. You can find out more about that new book from Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck, designtolead.com. And that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? New book coming out this weekend. I am going. You're going it's where? Possible that I, it's possible that I uh, did this another week when you could pre-order it, but I'm going to bring it up again. I've done that once or twice before. So I am going by uh, Dr. Danny Aiken and Dr. Bruce Ashford um, that is also being published by B&H, so it kind of hits in both of our worlds. Uh, but it really focuses on the Great Commission uh, for all people that all church members are to be about the Great Commission. Uh, and what that really looks like in everyday life. So, Well, that's very cool. I'm looking forward to picking up a copy of that. We've got them around the office and uh, also looking forward to having them as a sponsor next month here on SBC This Week. My resource of the week is a new virtual tour uh, that Dr. Rayner and I are doing around 50 states and Canada. Launches this coming week uh, for pastors in Ohio and Idaho. So we're doing every state in the U.S. and every province in Canada, and we're going to do it virtually uh, because that would be a lot of travel miles, and my wife would not be happy with me being gone for the next eight months. But uh, we've got nice. we've got the entire schedule at tomrainer.com slash virtual tour. You can check it out. Spend an hour online with me and Dr. Rayner, and uh, we're going to be talking about five seismic shifts in the church that every pastor and church leader need to know. So uh, be sure to join us for those. Sign up for the Space is Limited on those 25 pastors per state. So you've got to sign up early in some of those big states. Uh, we've, we've got signups going on right now for the October editions and like in the middle of the month for the next month, the, we'll, we'll start opening those up. So middle of October, you can get into the November ones and so forth and so on. The full schedule and all the dates uh, are at tomrainer.com slash virtual tour. That's going to do it for us right. this week here on SBC This Week. We mentioned we have some big news coming next week about the CP, and who knows what else there might be to talk about in the SBC next week. We'll see you next week. See you next week. 